global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to take a look at world events in light of your word and your divine perspective. And we do ask that you would help us to be prepared for the coming days ahead and the tumultuous world we live in today by resting in the peace of the arms of Jesus Christ and in his righteousness alone. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host, and we've got 30 minutes to blast through some news items and to gain some much-needed spiritual perspective on what's going on in our world. One of my favorite things that we ever get to get into on the broadcast is the topic of health, because your health is so important. Your health affects not just your body and your longevity and your propensity to have disease and likelihood of that, but your brain, your spiritual epicenter of your body, which is everything about our relationship with Jesus Christ, about our ability to overcome toxic emotions and temptations and be able, being able to have a sense of security in his loving arms. And so when we talk about health, it's a spiritual topic. So this one right here really... I, maybe I shouldn't say surprised surprised me. I was going to say it surprised me, but it's hard to it's hard to be shocked anymore with everything insane you see in our world on a daily basis. But there's um, toxins called mycotoxins. They're carcinogenic, and they did a, a study out of Spain where they tested coffee samples for carcinogenic mycotoxin. Now, there's already many, many good reasons not to drink coffee. Caffeine is addictive. It messes with your brain. It's not good for you. You can get your antioxidants through other types of beans than, than uh, coffee beans. In fact, even better, blueberries and raspberries and just all sorts of phytonutrients that you can get out of the plant kingdom. So you don't need it from coffee beans. But they tested 100 samples. Guess how many out of 100 of these samples of coffee had carcinogenic mycotoxins in them. 100. 100 out of 100 banned toxins, many of them, at illegal levels, six times the legal limit. And the researchers, are their eyes are bugging out of their heads going, seriously, this is much worse than we anticipated. But it gets even more interesting when you read Natural News article here. American women spent a, a whopping... $768 million on nail polish in 2012. According to WWD.com, a number 32% higher than the year prior. 32% increase in the money spent on nail polish. Now, this that was a couple years ago, but what's going on now? Unfortunately, we're beginning to learn that what may seem like an innocent pastime poses more risks than we beauty lovers may have bargained for. A brand new study conducted jointly by Duke University and the Environmental Working Group discovered traces of a rather toxic chemical in the bodies of women who had recently painted their nails. 
25% of polishes containing TPHP, which is triphenylphosphate, a plasticizer dually used in both nail polish and as a flame retardant for furniture, was detected in the urine of every woman who volunteered to participate in the study. By the way, TPHP is not listed on the label. The study found that when women applied nail polish with TPHP directly to their nails, the levels of a biomarker of that chemical in their urine increased sharply. Published in October 19 this past fall in Environmental International, the study involved the testing of 10 nail polishes with scientists finding traces of TPHP in eight of them. Two of the eight polishes containing TPHP did not have the ingredient listed on the label. The results represent compelling evidence that TPHP, a suspected endocrine-disrupting chemical also used in plastics manufacturing and as a fire retardant, as mentioned, does enter the human body via nail polish, says the Environmental Working Group. You know, we could have known long ago, even without knowing the health effects of a lot of these toxic cosmetics that are applied in our vain age where where vanity and appearance trumps health. But we, we should have known and could have known for other reasons that this industry of so-called beautifying women is actually not of God. What does the Bible say about true beauty? It says, let the adorning, in, in 1 Peter 3, verse 3, let the adorning be of the hidden man of the heart, or in this case, the hidden woman. And actually, there is a strange trend of men doing this too, but let, let the true adorning, the true beauty, be of the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even that ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. How do holy women in the Bible times of old and what the Apostle Peter calls us to do in the New Testament times, how did they adorn themselves? It was not, as he says in verse 3, outward adorning and the plating of hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel. How much time and effort and money and mental brain space and vain selfish thoughts are invested and wasted on thinking about hairstyles and doing your hair and wearing clothes that other people will think look nice and the makeup and the jewelry means are expended and wasted on these things. Time, not just time wasted, but the thoughts become self-oriented, don't they? And I know that to a great extent, young ladies especially have been victimized by a culture that has drilled it into their brains that you're not beautiful unless you correspond and conform to the image that we've put on these magazine covers and these pop stars and these entertainers and this the, the models. That's the image you, and the standard you have to measure up to. And, of course, if you don't look like that, your value, your worth plummets in your own eyes, when you're bombarded with this cultural message day in and day out for years on end as a girl, even in Disney, even in the cartoons, 
And so that you come to the point where you feel that you have to do these things in order to measure up, in order to be a true woman. True womanhood and femininity is described here in the Bible. And you know what God says to you? He says even before your character is developed, and that's the most beautiful thing of all, but he says you are my daughter whom I love in whom I am well pleased, period. He is our loving Heavenly Father who affirms, who loves, who embraces, who accepts, who says, I think you're the greatest, the best, because you're my kid and I just love you. But then, of course, he doesn't want to leave us where we're at. Just like a good parent with their child, they see the defects of character and the struggles and the issues that we face in our lives, the selfishness, the sin. And so he says, I'm going to create in you the mind of Christ, where not only will you have a confidence and a strength of character and purpose, but you will have a holiness, a holiness that the apostle Peter describes here in chapter three, the hidden man of the heart, the ornament, the beauty of a meek and quiet, quiet spirit. This is how the holy women in the Bible adorned themselves. And we should do the same. Forget about the jewelry. What do you need it for? It's useless, right? It does nothing functionally. You got to wear a shirt. You got to wear clothes, of course. But even that can be taken to extreme with just, I want it to be decorative and it's got to look just right and it's got to reveal just right and make me feel attractive. No, it's clothing. It's meant to clothe. It's meant to cover, right? And that doesn't mean you get into some weird extreme fanatical bent of, you know, dressing like you're, you know... Uh, you know, in a in a in a potato sack or something, you dress tastefully, right? This is the biblical model, and put as little thought into it as possible. You don't want to obsess on it, right? Prayerfully make some decisions to impl- implement some dress reform, to toss out the unnecessary ornamentation that has no function at all, but it's just meant to make you glitter and shine and all of the nail polish and all of this. Biblically, this is not what God calls us to. And I know this is a hard message. I'm throwing out some like, we're going for the jugular of the hardest biblical teachings that we can face. And Jesus had a hard teaching one time where he said, there were his disciples, many of them left, not the 12, but many of his other followers. And he said to his disciples, you're not going to leave too, are you? And they said, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. It was a hard teaching. Many times God raises the standard. He asks us to change our diet. He asks us to take the seventh day off of work and keep it holy, even though like nobody around me is doing that. He asks us to change our conduct, our dress. And you might say, well, those are just particulars. That's no big deal. You know, God wants to deal with the biggest things first, for sure, in our lives. But He takes things one at a time as we're able to receive the truth. And he brings us into the full light of truth, of his character, of pure holiness. And that's where he's taking each one of us step by step. And if we rebel at any given point and say, oh, that's just some small issue. No big deal. I don't need to worry about that Bible verse and that teaching and that that command of God. That, That rebellion hardens the heart. And then that journey toward Christ and a deeper relationship with him of obedience 
starts to become interrupted and we start turning from him. Do you know what the word repent means? It means to turn. So we must turn from selfishness and worldliness toward him. Daily Beast reports, archaeologist says the Bible's King Hezekiah is real. Now, this is the Daily Beast. This is not a Christian publication. Archaeologist says the Bible's King Hezekiah is real. Could a small clay imprint found during excavations of a dump at the foot of the wall of Jerusalem, old city, Jerusalem's old city, be proof of Hezekiah's existence? Israeli archaeologists have discovered a mark from a seal of the biblical king Hezekiah, and the discovery is being touted in some circles as proof of the authenticity of the biblical record. The small circular inscription was found as part of the ex- excavations of a refuse dump at the foot of the southern wall at, that surrounds Jerusalem's old city. The clay imprint, known to archaeologists as a bula, contains ancient Hebrew script and a symbol of a two-winged sun. According to the Bible, Hezekiah ruled around 700 B.C. and along with King Josiah was one of the few good kings dedicated to eliminating idolatry. 2 Kings 18 verse 5 implies that he was without equal. It says there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And so it goes on and talks about the professors who are saying this is clear evidence, very credible scientific archaeological evidence of the validity of the biblical record. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com or write to us at 11333 Bacchus Road, Lakeview, Michigan, 48850. Martin Lidstrom, neuromarketing executive at Apple, recently revealed that iPhone users have a, quote, relationship with their iPhones. Yes, you heard that right. A relationship. He explained that their brain studies that they did revealed that the love circuits of the brain actually fire when iPhone users are engaged with their beloved device. In his words, people are literally in love with their iPhones. You and your device are the two becoming one flesh at every church I speak at. Folks say the same thing. Scott, why didn't anybody tell us this before? So, folks, grab a pencil and write this down. Media on the Brain. It's a six-DVD series that will arm you with the vital information on the undeniable effects of entertainment media and how to break free. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men And we're back. This is 11th Hour Dispatch. I'll tell you, right before the break, we were getting into some pretty exciting news with the archaeological discovery of King Hezekiah. And the the scholars have been, even on a secular level, finding many, many things in recent years and decades that invariably, unavoidably confirm the history recorded in the Bible. Now, of course, they would all say, 
in the past they say the, the the Bible, you know, that's a religious book and it's just filled with made up things, which was one of the most absurd things to say. Because if you know anything about the Jewish culture, that's who wrote the Bible, almost all of it. Um, they're not myth makers. They're, 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 they, they are and always have been very serious record keepers and very serious hard facts based minded people. And so the idea that this is made up myths and legends, you know, maybe you'd get that in, in India, you know, with the, with the Hindu ideas of, you know, millions of years ago, this God and that goddess, you know, had this war in heaven and, you know, it's you know, a lot of legendary type of things that you read. In, in certain cultures of the world. I'm not trying to pick on the Indians. That's just that's just the, the Hindu mythology. And there are a lot of myths and legends in the world religions, but not in the Old Testament record or the New Testament for that matter. These are factually confirmed, archaeologically based, historical facts and stories with people's names, dates, locations. Then this happened, this happened. Without the, the crazy sounding stuff that you read like about the you know, emperor legends about Alexander the Great. And you know, it's clearly made up, amplified stuff. In fact, the Bible includes a whole lot of information that, that you wouldn't want to write down if you were trying to do myth-making legendary stuff to, you know, make somebody into some sort of God figure. I mean, it records David's failures and his sin, right? It records all these, and Moses for that matter. I mean, you're trying to build a, a, a cult-like religious devotion to your national leaders. You do not include those kinds of facts, right? So it's great evidence that there's credibility in the Bible, that it includes the, the positives and the negatives, unlike other monarchical histories that have been written of, of various kings and nations and empires. They always amplify the good and minimize the bad or delete it altogether, where the Bible is a fair and honest portrayal of history. It's accurate. So much credibility in it. And the hist historical findings and archaeological findings only confirm that each passing year. So that was a really exciting one right before the breakup about the Hezekiah findings uh, in Jerusalem. But how about this one from the, the, the flood narrative? ChristianNews.net reports, discovery of water deep below Earth's surface may confirm biblical accounts. Scientists who have long been puzzled by the origins of the Earth's water are beginning to believe it originated deep inside the planet, just as the Bible describes where did our planet's water come from? This question remains a hotly debated issue among geologists and astronomers who conclude that it is still largely a mystery. Evolutionists who believe the Earth was originally a hot molten sphere abounding with toxic gases have struggled to make sense of the abundance of water currently on our planet. Water is so vital to our survival, but strangely enough, we don't know the first thing about it. Literally the first, wrote Brian Greene in a Smithsonian Magazine article. Where does water, giver and taker of life on planet Earth, come from? Some scientists have postulated that Earth's water must have come from external sources like asteroids. Perhaps they collided with Earth billions of years ago and thereby brought liquid water to the planet. Well, the Bible tells a different story. According to, Gen according to Genesis, God initially created Earth as a water-covered sphere. It says that the Spirit of God hovered above the, above the waters. And then he separated the waters from the waters to create the sky or the atmosphere. And later during the, which it was the firmament, right? Later during the great flood, the Bible describes the fountains of the great deep breaking open and inundating the globe with water. That's Genesis 7 verse 11. 
New scientific findings seem to support the Bible's account. A report published recently in the journal Nature proposes that water actually originated deep inside of the Earth. The report is based on research conducted by an international team of a dozen scientists. The ultimate origin of water in the Earth's hydrosphere is in the deep Earth, the mantle, the scientists wrote in their report. The scientists say a layer of the Earth's mantle, about 250 to 410 miles below the surface, could be a major repository for water and have a key role in in terrestrial, meaning Earth, magnetism, and plate tectonics. The researchers base their findings on diamonds discovered in Brazil that originated deep inside the mantle of the Earth. They found a water-rich mineral, ringwoodite, inside the diamonds leading them to believe that copious amounts of water may exist deep below Earth's surface. The presence of hydrous ringwoodite in a diamond from transition zone depths supports the view that high fluid activity, notably that of water, has a key role in the genesis of ultra-deep diamonds, the scientists explained in their nine-page report. Graham Pearson, a Canadian geochemist, who led the diamond study, said their findings suggest underground water is abundant. Again, just as the Bible says, overturning scientific consensus prior to this. It's actually the confirmation that there is a very, very large amount of water that's trapped in a really distinct layer in the deep earth, he said. It translates into a very, very large mass of water, approaching the sort of mass of water that's present in all the world's ocean. Scientists stress that these findings are not conclusive. Of course, they're being, they're being cautious and conservative about it. But you heard the quotes. They're saying this is, this is evidence that this is the case. It's a controversial statement, though, so they're kind of sticking their toe in the water. But you know from the Bible, 2 Peter 3, verse 5, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. It's pretty exciting to see The science catch up with the word of God. How about this one? An abortionist recently stopped to say a prayer next to a poster providing an image of an aborted baby, claiming that God's hand is upon her to do her work of abortion. Well, conversely, pro-lifers, they are proud and unchristlike, said this abortionist. The incident occurred outside the Chicago's Palmer House Hilton as the North American Forum on Family Planning was underway. Members of the Pro-Life Action League stood outside of the event, holding signs, including a sign being held by director Joe Schiedler that provided a photograph of a child known as Baby Malachi, who was dismembered at 21 weeks gestation. Now, here's what she prayed. This was a public portrayal of... Uh, statement here. She said, My dear Heavenly Father, I'm grateful today to be here at this wonderful meeting, and I wanted to express to you the gratitude and humility I feel as an abortionist. I can imagine no person who is in greater need of Christ-like love and excellent medical care than a woman who is faced with an untenable pregnancy, and I am grateful every day to feel thy spirit and thy guiding hand in my work as I speak to women of all faiths and all creeds. I just want to pray to continue to have the humility to accept that I am incapable of knowing anyone else's heart and mind. And my role as my human being 
And my role as a human being is not to judge others, but to give them care and compassion when I can know nothing of their heart. And leave the judgment to you, to thy divine wisdom and omnipotence, and just provide them the love of Christ that we all need and deserve. Now that sounded so nice, didn't it? And I'm not going to assess, judge, or question the motives of this abortion, quote, provider. And, in fact, anybody will naturally, with their life's calling and profession, seek to find and justify and understand in their own mind how what they are doing is ethical, moral, uplifting, helpful, and a good thing for society. Do you remember last fall, the um, abortion conference, where the, the leader, the head, the speaker was speaking to abortion providers? And she said to them, we all, basically, we all have to admit that what pro-life people have been saying is true, that this is a life. You know that this is a life, this is a human, and we're killing it, and there's violence here. And now we must ask ourselves, why is this the most important thing we can do with our lives? So you know you're living in a degenerate age, in a very an age of deception, where absolutely backward thinking is taking place. Where somebody says, I kill human beings for a living. And this is a great thing to do with my life because I'm loving the mother who has this, quote, untenable pregnancy. And I can't judge whether she should have this abortion or not. Well, the Lord has made that judgment. He said, thou shalt not kill. And we don't judge somebody's heart. We don't say, well, then they're not saved and God doesn't like them. No, he loves everybody. That is the most important truth of all. And he forgives even for the act of murder. He forgave the people who were crucifying him. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Or his heart toward them was forgiveness if they were to receive it. So we don't judge somebody's salvation, and we always lift up the mercy and forgiveness of God toward the most heinous acts of violence, murder, and evil on this earth. But I share this news article to give us a little bit of perspective on how twisted and sneakily deceptive Satan's messages are in this world. That you can have a wonderful sounding thing like this promoting what is known to be the act of killing. And I don't bring this topic up as a matter of a political message in advocacy of some party or candidate. That, to me, will let folks handle that. The message right now is that God values life. And we've got to watch out for the you-can't-judge message which can then cover over and mask every form of evil and justify it. Because after all, you can't judge. So we'll just go ahead and take acts of evil ourselves. Because who can know? It's the postmodern, nihilistic, fuzzy mess of moral unclarity that has enveloped our globe. Particularly in the West. And it's a sad thing. But let's end on a positive note.
while that was a pretty weird portrayal of things that we just read in that scene, we can pray a prayer, dear Heavenly Father, as she did, but we'll pray it a little differently. I know that when I look in the mirror, I see my sin. I know that when I look at your commandments, I see my sin. But I know that when I look at the cross, I see forgiveness in your love. Help me not to judge. Thank you for forgiving me. Amen. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. In ancient Babylon, what prompted the people to bow down and worship the image? What was the thing that got them to do it? Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Will the last day's deception follow the pattern? Lucifer, now that he's Satan, he's going to use the gift that he had as a holy angel for evil ends. Sociologist John Blackie said, Music can become a universal language. It becomes a vehicle for world peace and the unification of mankind. Now, if you don't have red flags going up in your mind, oh boy, look out, folks. That sounds nice, but this is the veneer over the most satanic movement in human history that's about to burst upon planet Earth. Brought to you by Belt of Truth Ministries.org.